Well, hey, good morning. Hey, remember how you live in Colorado? Um, sometimes it snows. It's a great morning to be together, though, isn't it? Really quick, before we jump into the scriptures today, when you walked in, you got a service guide, and there are two inserts in it. Um, first is uh, there's some sermon notes. I'd encourage you to bust those out right now, and they'll help you follow along as we dig into the scriptures this morning. And the second is an elder um, nomination form. And I'd encourage you to read that over. We are in a season over the next few months of trying to discern who God would have serve on the elder board. We have three openings coming up um, at the end of July, beginning of August, we hope to fill. And that's a process that we enter into. So as you uh, sense the Lord bringing people to mind and names of men that you think would be good to serve, um, please let us know. You can give those sheets back to me or Larry or Dan or any of our staff um, or elders. We would love to take those and um, you can also do that online. And uh, I'll add, in your service guide, there's also a tear-off sheet that has a connection card. And if you're new or newish with us, welcome. Thanks for braving the snow. You can drop that at our welcome center on your way out, and they'd love to give you a gift just to say, thanks for coming. Hey, um, this Christmas, I mentioned a few weeks ago, but this Christmas, I got my wife, because I'm awesome, um, and I like to eat, I got her an Instant Pot for Christmas, okay? Um, anybody else get one of these recently? So here's, this is like a modern twist on the old pressure cooker because it essentially works the same way. The top seals onto there pretty tight and, and then inside there's two things that happen. There's heat that starts to build up and there's steam that is released and inside you can put a frozen, whole frozen chicken and in three minutes it'll pop out to be a dinner for you. It's awesome, man. I mean... Okay, maybe not. Don't try that at home. But <clears throat> it's really funny, too, because um, it, it's a little bit of a nerve-wracking deal just to know what's going on in this, um, like, bomb that you have in your kitchen, right? So we turn it on, and my wife, Kelly, like, backs up, and all of the kids have their biking helmets on when she's cooking with it. I mean, we just we want to take safety to the next level at our house, and um, it's just, it's a little bit crazy, I think sometimes life feels a little bit like an instant pot, doesn't it? Like it, like it presses in on us and, and the heat gets turned up and the steam gets released. And, and sometimes in those seasons, we have questions for each other. We have questions for God. We, we ask God things like, God, do you, do you see? And God, do you care? And God, are you going to do anything? And God, in this situation that I'm walking through right now, what do you want me to do? And sometimes those pressure situations, they, they can seem small. It's, it's a child that won't behave or um, a, a job situation that's not exactly working out the way that you want it to. But, but sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like you're just in the thick of it and the temperature just keeps going up and up and up and up. And the news from the doctor isn't good and the relationship is falling apart. And, and it just feels like the pressure is just building. What do we do in situations like that? I mean, sometimes I think that as, as the church, like capital C church, we're not good at talking about lament and grief. And man, like some seasons of life just aren't fun, are they? Can we admit that? Even though we're in church, can we? And sometimes it feels like the pressure is just getting turned up. But it's really interesting. 
if you have one of these instant pots, um, there's this little dial on top, and one of the settings is sealed, or it's like, let the pressure build. The other setting is vent or release, and when you're cooking something and you turn it to vent, it sounds like there's a bomb that's being diffused in your kitchen. It really does. It's this high pitch, like, and steam's like shooting out of it. That's when Kelly has all of our kids under the kitchen table with like stop, drop, and roll. Um, yeah. So here's what we lean in for just a moment. There are situations in life where Jesus does not remove the heat. Sometimes the mountain doesn't move. And sometimes the sea is not quieted. But he does remove the pressure. And there's things in life and there's things in the life of faith where we can, we can switch that dial from sealed to vent. And it releases us to go, okay, um, like it's still hot. The pain didn't go away, but, but I can keep going and I can keep moving and I can keep trusting and I can keep holding on, God, because I know that, that you're at work. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this message is for you if you're walking through the fire and you just feel like, God, where are you? And if you're not a follower of Christ, we are so glad that you're here. And what I want to invite you to do is to just look in, lean in, because the scriptures have some beautiful invitations for us as human beings when life gets really hard and they center around the person and work of Jesus. And so our invitation, if you're new to this church, if you're new to the life of faith, is that you would see these release valves as an invitation to come to Christ. Revelation chapter 2. If you have a Bible, will you turn there with me? Revelation chapter 2. We're in the series on letters to the seven churches. Last week, we talked about the church at Ephesus. I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, to go back and listen to that one or watch that one online. And the church at Ephesus is the church that Jesus says has lost their first love. The, the thing that was central to who they were in Christ got relegated to just one of amongst the many things that they were doing, and they were doing well. But they lost their first love. The second letter is to the church at Smyrna, and it's the church that is right in the center of the instant pot. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna, right, the words of the first and the last, who died and who came to life. Smyrna was one of the major ports in Asia Minor at the time. It's in what today is modern-day Turkey. You can see it. It's, see it here. It's labeled number two on this map, but it was one of the safest ports along this coastline, and so they had a lot of trade that went in and out of the city of Smyrna. Today, it's uh, Izmir, and it's been a city for roughly 8,000 years. I mean, try to take that in. That's a long time. But it did have this little break. See, in 600 BC, the Lydians came and they wiped out the city of Smyrna. And for 400 years, it ceased to exist. And then, around 200, it was repopulated by the Roman Empire and it was started to be birthed again. So when Jesus begins his letter to the church at Smyrna... The one who died and came to life again, it's not just an incidental type of greeting as if to say, hey, remember I was resurrected. And that's true. 
But Jesus is saying more than that. He's saying, hey, church of Smyrna, you're the city that died and came to life again, and I'm the Savior who died and came to life again, and we have some common ground here. I know what that's like, city of Smyrna. So, so lean in a little bit, if you will. This city was a fascinating city. It was like many of the coasts in our day, the, the New York, the Californias, they, they were sort of the epicenter of culture and fashion. And one of the major excavation projects in the city of Smyrna is the Agora, which was a three-story tall shopping mall that was about a 300 feet long, a football field long, and just an absolutely fascinating piece of architecture back in that day. The city is also named after Smyrna is the same root word as the spice myrrh, which is a very aromatic spice. In fact, it, it has such a strong smell that they use it for embalming bodies because it takes away the smell of um, the decomposition of the body. So when Jesus says, the one who died and came to life again, they're surrounded by this smell in their city because that was one of the major trades that went in and out of their port. One of the things I've loved is just seeing the way that Jesus speaks so directly to the place that the church is at. He speaks their language. He writes to their culture, and he has a word for what they're going through. See, the people of Smyrna, right in back of the city, they had this massive hill, and on top of it, you can see this fortress that has a temple inside of it. Smyrna was the city that won the right to build the very first temple to the goddess Roma, and she was the goddess that personified the Roman Empire. So if you wanted to worship the empire, it was a little bit more overt back then than it is today. You worship the goddess Roma. And every year, they would make a trek, the people of Smyrna. They would walk up this mountain, traversing side to side to side. They'd walk up. They'd walk into the temple. They'd take a pinch of incense, and they'd throw it into the fire, and they'd bow down, and they'd say, Caesar is Lord. It was an annual party that they threw every year. And the Christians said, well, we, we, can't, we can't say that because we don't believe that Caesar's Lord. We actually believe that Jesus is Lord. And so you see this beginning, this inception of the conflict between the church and the state, between the kingdom and the empire. And will you look up at me for just a moment? This is nothing new. The church has always been called to be a prophetic voice into the empire, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of kingdom. And when the church gets in bed with the empire, we see things go horribly wrong because we're called to be a voice saying, there's a better way. That's for free. Okay, that's just, that's for free. And the church was at Smyrna. They were, and because of that, they walked through a season of pressure tribulation, and trials. Here's the way Jesus goes on. He says this. He says, I know. If you have your own Bible, will you circle that, star that, underline it, whatever you do to make sure you know it's important? I know. I know your tribulation. It's the Greek word thlipsis. Will you say that with me? 
flips this, literally could be translated pressure, internal pressure. I know, I know your instant pot reality. I know what's going on. Your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Hey, Jesus, how do you really feel? But these first two words, I know, before we go on, and we will, I just want to, I feel like God wants to, to speak a word over us this morning. To say, I know. I know the, I know the secret sin that you, you just long to get rid of, and you don't feel like you can't. I, I know, he says. I know, I know the addiction that you're walking through, and I, I know that even when you sit in this place, you feel like a hypocrite, and there's all sort of voices in your head chirping at you. He, go, he goes, I know. I know it looks like things on the outside. You can pretend things are perfect, but, but I know that there's a fracture in that relationship, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And Jesus says, I know. He says, I know the longing that you have to, to feel like you're close to me, to, to feel more intimate and more loved. He goes, he goes I, I, I know that. The hope that one day you'll be married and have that family you pictured in your mind. He goes, I, I know that longing. I know that hope. I know, I know, I know, I know. Whatever it is, he knows. And he speaks this word. He says, I, I know that you're, you're poverty, but, 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 don't forget, you're rich. Now, there's more than one way to be rich. You know that, right? There's more than one way to be wealthy. There's more than one way to have an abundance. And the word that Jesus wants to speak to the instant pot Christians in Smyrna is, do not miss, don't you dare miss, God's provision in the midst of pain. Don't miss that he's at work, that he's in the midst, that he sees, that he is calling you, ministering to you, comforting you, loving you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because I don't know about you, but it can be really easy in this type of situation like Smyrna was in to start to just ask the question, why? God, why in the world did this happen? Why in the world did that happen? And I think that's a really natural, good question. But please, 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 do not let the question, why, cause you to miss the God who's providing in. Don't miss the God who continues to provide in. Don't let poverty in some areas cause you to assume lack in every area. In fact, here's the way that the Apostle Paul write it to the church at Corinth. He says, listen, church at Corinth, you're, you're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You know there's a way to have joy in the midst of sorrow? You can have both. You can have both. Poor, yet making many rich. You, you don't have much to your name, but you sure are ministering in some ways that are making people's lives all the better. You have nothing, yet you possess what? Everything, everything. I can remember when Reed, my youngest son, was first born. And this is an image, I've shared this before, but it's just stuck in my brain as this picture of the reality of the world that we live in. My, my dad, 
had my mom, and she was pretty sick at that time, on his, on his arm. And I can remember them walking into the hospital room where we were sitting. And we sort of positioned my mom on this couch because she um, was a little bit wobbly at the time. And, and we really delicately put our youngest son, just born that day, Reed, in, into her arms. And I can remember this picture. It's just, it's seared in my mind of my, my sick mom holding my healthy baby. And I can just remember the spirit whispering to me, Ryan, you're going to have a choice every day of your life to decide what you see. And I want to see both. I want to see the lament, and I want to see the joy. I want to see the pain, but I don't want to miss the provision. I don't want to miss the God who's with me every step of the way. So here's my question. Because it hurts, because the pressure is being turned up, is there provision you're missing in the midst of it? See, Jesus says, listen, I know that there's those of the synagogue of Satan, they've slandered you, verse 9. Uh, here's the context. It's really important because some people have taken this verse and they've driven to some anti-Semitic places, which isn't at all what Jesus intends or has in mind. See, in the Roman Empire at the time, it was required that people would worship Caesar as Lord. It was a non-negotiable for anyone except for one group, the Jewish people. They had an exemption from the Roman government because of their history and because they were monotheists. They worked out a deal. If we still pay our taxes and we still give, can we refuse or, or, or exempt ourselves from worshiping Caesar? And they said, okay, we'll let you, but you alone have that right. Well, early on, Christians were seen as a sect of Judaism. And so they were covered under this exemption. They did not have to worship Caesar as Lord. But as they started to gain momentum, as the movement started to grow, Rome started to see, well, there's less and less people hiking up that mountain to worship. And they said, we've got to do some things to change that. And the synagogue rulers, most scholars would say, the synagogue rulers outed the Christians. They said, well, these people... They're not true Jews. They're not of us. They worship Jesus as king. Can you imagine this? People who you might have gone to church with, people who you might have gone to synagogue with, saying they're not of us. They're a completely different thing. So Jesus says, listen, if you've been stabbed in the back by somebody, if you've had a friend betray you, if you've had a, a loved one turn their back on you and say, I don't want anything to do with you, he goes, people of Smyrna, not only do I know what you're going through, but I see exactly what's gone on, and I'm with you in the midst of it. The scriptures say he's close to the brokenhearted. What do you need Jesus, what do you need to know that Jesus sees in your life right now? I can assure you, he sees it. He sees it. Here's the way he continues. Do not fear. Because when they were outed, they were persecuted. When they, when they were no longer under the exemption of the Jewish people, they were crucified, they were thrown to the lions, they were covered in animals' blood and told to run while wild dogs chased them. Not golden retrievers, the chihuahuas either. And they were like, run, go, run for your life. They were crucified, they were burned at the stake, you name it. 
And it's to these people, Jesus says, do not, what? Say it with me, church. Fear. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Okay, let's just have a moment of honesty. Look up from your notes for a second. How many of you wish that that said something different than what it actually says? Okay, yeah, I'm just glad you're following along because I think we all do, right? We all do. And yet, if you read through the scriptures cover to cover, what you'd find is that 83 times we are commanded to not fear. It's one of the most used phrases, the most um, common commands in all of the scriptures. And I started to ask myself this week, why in the world is that? Well, because we live in a world that sometimes feels like an instant pot, don't we? Because we have a lot of reasons to fear, don't we? And because fear has this like place in our soul that just sometimes won't let go. We have some interesting things that we fear now in our day, in our time. I read through a list of some of the more common or less common fears that people have. But did you know that the National Institute of Health says that in America, phobias and fears are one of the greatest inhibitors of health that people have? And here's some of the more interesting ones. Melophobia, it's the fear of music. My guess is you came in late if that's yours, right? Okay, here, here pray for me, will you? Um, here's the other one. Hippopotamonstrosequipipipipiphobia. You know what ironically that is? It's the fear of long words. <laughs> oh gosh. Whoever made that up is like, take that. <laughs> well, okay, then you can go to arachibutriophobia, which obviously is the fear of getting peanut butter stuck on the roof of your mouth. It's a real thing. Or unattractiphobia, which is the fear of ugly people. Can you imagine, like, you're sitting in the lunchroom at work, and you're just like, man, I'm really struggling with my unattractophobia today, and you're not helping. And they're like, I'm not sure what you meant. Or, or, paganophobia, which is the fear of beards. <laughs> so, um, stay away from Aaron Bjorklund if you have that one. Or, more recently, FOMO, which is what? The fear of missing out, right, yeah. And some of our fears are a little bit more comical, but every fear is paralyzing. Have you thought about that? Uh, when Amazon started to track through their Kindle app the most highlighted verses in the Bible, there was one that started to track above all the rest. It was not John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It wasn't some of the more popular verses. It was Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious or fearful about anything, but in everything, with, pure, with prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The most highlighted verse in the scriptures. Why? Well, because we live in a world where you can have fear. Man, not all fear is silly. I mean, can you think of this? Just a few weeks ago or last week, there was an alert that went on to everybody's cell phone on the island of Hawaii that said, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. It turned out to be a mistake, but it wasn't a drill. 
Hey, will you look up at me for just a second? Fear cannot change the future, but it can prevent you from walking into it. It can't change your circumstances, but it can change you. And so 83 times the scriptures say, do not fear, because the biggest problem with fear is that it clashes with the life of faith. So here's Jesus' encouragement to the church in the instant pot in Smyrna. Choose courage in the face of challenges. Or you could write, if you like it better, choose faith in the face of fear. Choose faith. Because you cannot choose your circumstances oftentimes. But look out for me from your notes for just a second. You always, always, always get to choose your response to your circumstances. You can choose whether you react and respond in courage or you react or respond in fear. That's your choice. Which is why Jesus frames it as a command. Don't fear. Don't fear. And so here's what he's not saying. He's not saying don't feel and just shut yourself down. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying don't grieve and don't lament. It's a very biblical thing to look at the world as it really is and go, that's probably not the way that God designed it to be. There's some things that are broken. There's some things that are off. He's not saying you have to ignore those things. And he's not saying don't question God. Here's what he is saying. Here's what he is saying. And I think Nelson Mandela maybe said it best. He said this. He said, I've learned that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers or steps into that fear. See, you and I, we cannot ignore our fears and hope that they go away. In fact, The best way to feed your fears is to hide them and to pretend they don't exist. Fear flourishes in the darkness. When we don't say anything about it, when we don't get it out in the open, you know what? Probably the best thing you can do with your fears is tell somebody about them. Invite them in. Ask them to pray for you. Sometimes when you speak a fear out loud, you start to hear just how crazy it is that that thing is debilitating you. And then you get somebody who's walking with you in the journey. But if you're here today and you're going, all right, so there's two vents, okay, two release valves that we've talked about so far. Number one is understanding that there's provision in the midst of pain. The second is choosing courage in the face of challenges. How in the world do we do that? What does that actually look like? Um, I'm so glad you asked that because Jesus addresses that. And there's four things that I just want to briefly point out that Jesus says. So if we want to live fearlessly, there's four things in this text we have to know. And they're going to seem a little bit counterintuitive, but let's just trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about, okay? So here's what he says. First, do not fear what you're about to suffer. His point, suffering is a part of living. Don't be surprised at it. Don't fear. We live in a a broken and fractured world. People who assume that life is just going to be bubble gum and blueberries all the time 
are actually crippled more by fear than people who have a realistic view of this world that we live in. And can we just say, like, for a moment, let's just step back and look globally at not only the church at Smyrna, but churches all around the world, how they might hear this passage of Scripture. Because there's churches right now, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say, like, our suffering is one thing. Like, we had to drive to church in the snow. Like, I get it. But there's some people who go to church at, at the expense of their life, some of them. Right, there's over 300 Christians every single month that lose their life because of their faith in Jesus. There's roughly 214 churches that are destroyed, buildings destroyed because they're proclaiming the message of Jesus as Lord. There's 772 Christians that are tortured or beaten, not to the point of death, but to the point of pain every single month because they would say that Jesus is Lord. So, you read this from their point of view, him going, okay, you guys live fearlessly, hold on. Part of living is suffering. You just got to know it's true. Secondly, he says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. So number one, suffering is a part of living. Number two, we have to understand that there's a very real enemy to our souls. And here's why that's so important from a theological standpoint. If we don't understand that evil is real and that there is a very real enemy who would love to destroy us, we start to attribute everything to God. Is it Jesus' plan that his church in Smyrna would be attacked by the devil and thrown in prison? He allows it to happen, certainly, but it's not him doing it. There's an enemy. Who's at work? Secondly, you need to know that. Third, that you may be tested. Every single situation we find ourselves in is either a chance for us to grow better or to grow bitter, for our faith to be developed or our faith to be destroyed. You don't choose your circumstances, you do choose how you respond to them. And no, the testing of your faith will come. And here's the fourth thing he says, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, here's what the church didn't do. They didn't get out their calendar and go, well, it started on this day, and so now we got a week and a half. It was sort of an idiom or a metaphor in the first century for it's not going to last forever. That suffering has a season. And when we understand those things, it actually starts to disarm fear in our lives. So the two release valves, we choose to see the provision in the midst of pain, and we choose to see, choose to live courageously in the midst of challenges. And finally, Here's how this text ends. This letter. Be faithful unto death. Now, you, you could read that. Be faithful as your life is on the line. Actually, probably a better, more literal translation of this phrase is be faithful until death. Whether that's 10 minutes or 10 decades or 50 years, however long it is, be faithful as long as God gives you breath on this planet. It's not the imminency of death that's coming. It's, it's the um, emphasis on be faithful. He says, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And see, here's, here's what Jesus is saying to these churches. Here's the relief valve. The relief valve is 
do not decide whether or not you're going to be faithful based on your circumstances. Don't decide whether you're going to be faithful based on what comes into your life by way of blessing or by way of pain or by way of suffering or by way of joy. Decide whether or not you are going to be faithful because you know the faithful one. That's his encouragement. We've got to have an anchor, friends, that's deeper in our lives than just the day-to-day wind and the waves of things that may not go our way or regrets that we have or pain that we walk through or the instant pot life that we're living in. We've got to have something deeper. And for followers of Jesus, that deeper thing was the resurrection. It was the hope of what was coming, what was on the horizon. Notice Jesus says in the very beginning, I'm the one who died and who came to life again. And he ends this section, he buttresses it with, the one who conquers, who lives by faith, will not be hurt by the second death. At the resurrection, you will be raised to life, beautiful, immortal, eternal. That's the hope. And knowing our future hope empowers daily faith. That's that release valve. That's that vent in the pressure cooker of life. We know this, don't we? Um, Kelly and I, last year, we um, went on the very first vacation. We've, we'd gone on just us two since our kids were born. And we were gone for a week, and the entire week we were just like, like, praise Jesus, right? Like, why did we wait so So, like, we got back and we're like, every year we can possibly do this, we're going to do this. And it's on our calendar. And we're looking forward to it. And, I, and, and I've been shocked at how much having something on the calendar to look forward to empowers my every day, right? Like, my kids are just a mess. And I'm like, eh, we're going to Mexico in a few weeks. It'll be fine, right? Like, Things are falling apart around me. I don't know. Seven weeks I'll be in Mexico. I'll be on a beach. It's okay, right? And I think here's what Jesus points to. There will be a day. Just close your eyes for a moment. There will be a day with no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears. Where the old order of things will pass away, the new will come the Jesus who is the first fruits of resurrection as in, and is in the process of making all things new will accomplish his, finish his task in your life and in mine. And his work is not just a balm to cover the pain, but a redemption of it. Resurrection is a coming reality, friends. And you read back through the early church, it seemed like every sermon they preached, the emphasis at the end was, Jesus is risen, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is coming again. I just want that weight to sit on us today. I don't know what pain you need him to repair and make new, but I do know that's his promise Because the grave has been conquered, life has been purchased, and Jesus is making all things new. I love the way, you can open your eyes if they're still closed. I love the way that Howard Hendricks, the great Bible teacher, said, the amazing thing is not that we die. The amazing thing is that we live. 
We think we are in the land of the living on the way to the land of the dying. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living. Somebody say amen. That's good news. So Jesus promises this crown of life to the church at Smyrna, to the ones who overcome. And remember, all of these are just grounded in the culture that he's writing to. So if you were to look at this fortress on the hill of outside of the city of Smyrna, and you were to see it built in the way that it was back in the day John Jesus is writing to these churches, it would look like a crown, wouldn't it? Up on the hill? If you were to hold a coin that was popular in Smyrna at that point in time, with the goddess Roma depicted on it, she's wearing this what? Crown. So Jesus says, listen, you can have life by bowing to Caesar. You can have life by looking to your money, but there's a crown of life that's true life that will not fade. And don't you love that he built into his encouragement to the church a visual reminder that they would see every day of the hope that they are invited to have. I love it. So here's my encouragement to you. Three release valves of the life of faith. One, know that there's provision in the midst of pain. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I just know it's there. Don't miss it. Secondly, you get a choice. Every circumstance that comes into your life, you don't get to choose your circumstances. You get to choose every response you have. Choose faith. And finally, would you allow future hope to empower your daily faith? And so maybe this week, can I encourage you this week? Maybe you do one of these things to help you sort of ground this message in the soil of your real life. Like, what if this week you wrote a, a post-it note and just wrote, took a post-it note and wrote on it, Jesus knows and you put it on the steering wheel of your car or on your dashboard or in your bathroom or on the back of your phone, or maybe if you're tech savvy, you could just build a picture to use as your phone background that just says, Jesus knows. So when you pick it up, you're reminded, whatever situation you're in, he knows. I think if you did that, it would change the way that you looked at the world. Or maybe, maybe you make a list of the things that you're afraid of. <laughs> Some might be longer than others. But remember, fear flourishes in the dark, and when we write it down, there's something that's disarming about it. But can I encourage you, don't stop there. Maybe you follow that up by memorizing Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, that says, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. Or maybe this week, you find a place, because it's going to be warm, and the snow's still going to be there, and it's going to be gorgeous. And you just sit for as long as you can get away, and you take in the world around you, but you remember, you meditate on, you soak in, you ask Jesus to penetrate into your soul the reality of heaven and resurrection. Because our faith today is empowered by our hope about tomorrow. 
one story, and then we'll close. The year was 156, February 22nd. And there was a knock at the pastor's door, the pastor of the city church in Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. And he was greeted by some Roman officers. And as the church had begun to grow, they felt the need to snuff out this Jesus movement. So they went right to the top. And they went to Polycarp's door, this pastor's door, and they said, we need you to recant your faith in Jesus and bow to Caesar and admit that Caesar's Lord. And Polycarp said, I can't do that. In fact, he said, 86 years I've served Christ and he's done me no wrong. How could I blaspheme my king who saved me? And he said, well, then they said, well, we're going to need to take you in. We're going to We're going to burn you as a symbol of, you don't mess with Rome. And he said, well, that's fine, but if you'd come in for lunch first, that'd be great. And so they came in for lunch, and they ate lunch together. And Polycarp asked if he could pray for these Roman soldiers who were going to march him to his death. And he prayed for them for two hours until they finally said, dude, we got to cut you off. They told him, if you don't recant your faith in Jesus, we're going to burn you alive. He says, quote, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour. And after a while, it's a little extinguished, but you're ignorant of the fire that's coming judgment. So what are you waiting for? I will not change my mind. Do what you're going to do. And they did. They took him to the stake. And he put his arms around it, and they were going to nail him in place, and they couldn't find the nails. And here's what Polycarp says. He says, leave me here as I am. He who gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me to stay here without your pitiful safeguard of nails. I wrote in the book I was reading, stud! (laughs) Exclamation And he did. He stood as the flames came up and eventually took his life. Exactly what Jesus says to this church at Smyrna. He lived it. Jesus knew. And he lived fearlessly and faithfully. See, here's what I think Polycarp believed and what Jesus would have us believe too is that Jesus doesn't always prevent death. We wish he would, but he doesn't. But he does always purchase life. That's the promise held out for us. It's not that everything is going to turn out exactly the way that we want it to. It's that Jesus, King of the cosmos, is currently, right now, making all things new. And that resurrection is your reality and mine And there's these vents, these release valves for the life of faith. And I pray as a church that we would live them well. Would you stand with me as we close our time by singing this great old hymn together? Would you sing it like you really believe?